I'm Daniel Visbicki. I'm Dave Zilliger. And this is Pastoring Out Loud, a podcast for Bethlehem Baptist Church's South Campus in Lakeville, Minnesota. Are you listening and interested in learning more about our church? Go to Bethlehem.church forward slash location forward slash south dash campus. Dave, we've got a title and a name for this this podcast. We do. How did that come about? You sent me 16 options. <laughs> and I said, I like this one best. And you said, me too. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, it did seem to, uh, I mean, just fit exactly what we're doing here. We're trying to be pastors out loud for the sake of uh, our congregation. Yeah. yeah. So Dave, uh, lest you've forgotten, I'm committed to uh, doing a random question at the very beginning of each one of these podcasts. So Dave, uh, fast forward 30 years, you're in your mid-60s, you're approaching retirement, and um, I or Nick or your mentor, Jason Meyer, somebody is giving the speech at your retirement party, and they liken you to an all-time great NBA player. Who are you hoping that they liken you to 30 years from now? Wow, that's a good question. Probably you'd have to be a point guard since I played point guard in college and that's how I kind of view what I do here, trying to set up others and serve others uh, for their success. At least I hope that's what I'm doing. Uh, so I'd probably go with someone like Steve Nash. Uh, he's uh, not the fastest, not the most athletic. He's got good court vision. He's a good team player, understands the game, and loves what he does. I will uh, put that in my notes for use in a few decades. That's good. So today's topic, uh, as Dave and I were just considering what uh, would be the first thing that we could talk about on this podcast, is uh, we're hoping to launch into just a a bunch of topics that are theological in nature. We mentioned that in the first podcast that we were together. But we figured there would almost be a reason for just a primer, kind of some, some laying the groundwork for how we think about theology and especially matters that we think are really important, matters that we think are uh, important still, but maybe people can disagree on, and matters we think are maybe less important. So we want to uh, talk today about both the conscience and its importance, and then about what we call, and others have called, theological triage, how we kind of measure how important a theological topic is. So how do we agree or disagree and know what's important to agree about and what we're free to disagree about? First, we need to understand our conscience. So Dave, what's the conscience? Yeah, we see it in the Bible actually all over the place. And the conscience is really our own internal sense of what is right or what is wrong and therefore how to live in light of that internal sense of what is right and what is wrong. So we all, we all have it. Uh, it, it kind of comes to the surface very quickly in conversations or in situations uh, that are maybe, uh, maybe especially we feel this when it's, when it's less black or white, and we're, it's kind of our North Star. <laughs> it doesn't always mean that our North Star is exactly North, but it is our North Star, and it's how, it's how our, our own internal self is kind of guided through hard situations. Uh, so one of the things to say initially is that everyone's conscience is calibrated a bit differently 
based on uh, experience, based on sin, based on ways they've been sinned against, based on um, their understanding of the word and prayer and all, all that kind of stuff. And the Bible tells each of us to obey our conscience. So, so that's where it gets tricky, right? Is that we all have this different calibration of our conscience, and yet we're all supposed to obey our conscience. That'd be a start. What would you say? What would you say or add or subtract from what I said? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. It's our own internal sense of what's right and wrong. It's, it's God-granted, God-given. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's always rightly calibrated. And uh, I think the Bible does, we'll talk about some of the text here, the Bible does talk about for you to sin against your conscience is just sin. It might not actually be sin, like objectively speaking, but for you, it might be. So uh, maybe an example, and you can play off this if you want, Dave, but an example for me uh, would be shortly after I became a believer in my teenage years, I started going to a church that taught that certain forms of music were objectively wrong and even demonic or sinful if you listen to them. And uh, I, you know, grew up listening to uh, 80s rock and uh, 90s grunge and, um, you know, 70s power ballads and stuff like that. And there was a time where I actually, I took a whole bunch of CDs. I took a um, you know, family, took even albums and we destroyed them all. We've all done the, the, the CD destruction at some <laughs> CD point. CD destruction at some point. So uh, as I look back on that now, um, my conscience was calibrated a certain way mm-hmm. that I thought that something that um, actually wasn't sin, I think, was sin. And so I, for me to obey my conscience in those days was actually safe and better for me, even though I look back objectively on that and I think, I, I shouldn't have done that. But in one sense, I should have. Uh, in as much as my conscience had been calibrated that way. Do you have anything from your experience, Dave? Man, I had almost the same experience you did with the CD thing. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I can think of off the top of my head where it just it's, it's changed a lot over time. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that there's certain you know pastoral situations. You know, maybe early on as a pastor, uh, I felt a need to come down quicker or harder in certain situations uh, felt like I can't let this go another day it's got to be confronted and maybe over time I think that as I've had a full understanding of what it means to be a pastor now I, I normally have a lot more uh, flexibility to to talk and listen and counsel with more grace and a, an eye towards a longer ministry with people not not uh you said in your sermon really well not kind of burning all my relational capital in the first meeting with someone Uh, so so that might be an example a really kind of uh practical example and even in shepherding just uh, i think a lot of a lot of times young pastors start out thinking i got to confront this sin hard right away it's got to end today when normally sin wasn't built in a day normally it takes a while to dismantle it too so That's good. So what kinds of um, modifiers or adjectives or descriptors does the Bible put on conscience? Like what what are some of the other words that are used to describe conscience? Yeah, I think off the top of my head, but I know it talks about having a pure conscience in 1 Timothy. um, That that our conscience that would be free of any 
dirtiness, any sin, any uncleanness. Uh, you can have a, a seared conscience. You can have a conscience that's uh, grown cold to the Lord and is, is kind of numb to His ways. Um, you can have uh, all sorts of different kinds of consciences that are, are uh, better or worse in their calibration. I think the one common theme, if you're going to look at all the descriptors and say, why does the Bible describe them? What's the thing that it's kind of holding up as the, the calibrator? It seems to me to be the Word of God. You know, how, how in line is your conscience with the Word of God, with yeah. God's revealed will? So we see things like First Corinthians 8, you, you mentioned, but like you have a weak conscience, mm-hmm. a conscience that is um, perhaps easily provoked towards, I think, I think what the teaching in First Corinthians is, is that it's easily provoked towards sin in an area that is maybe not necessarily sin for everyone, but it is. Mm-hmm. For, so if you consider that meat offered unto idols or certain kinds of meat, or maybe it's uh, you know, certain kinds of CDs, etc., um, I would say that uh, an accurate descriptor of me in my early Christian years was I had a weak conscience in those mm-hmm. areas mm-hmm. because to listen to that, for me, I considered it sin mm-hmm. and that would be damaging to my conscience. Mm-hmm. So, and then we see, like you mentioned, pure conscience, a conscience that's rightly calibrated, a seared conscience, a, a conscience that's unfeeling, it's been wounded uh, repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the danger of like, if you have a weak conscience and you start doing things against your conscience, it can become seared and unfeeling. Um, so what are some of the other biblical teachings just about this? Um, I think you've got a couple big texts that you've got in mind. Yeah, it seems to me like the two that uh, are just most helpful are 1 Corinthians 8 and then Romans 14. And, and I, think, I think it's helpful uh, because none of us live in isolation. And so if we, t- we talk a lot around here about being a blood-bought family. And so in one sense, it's easy for me, if, if it was just Dave in the world, and even just Dave in his Bible, uh, life would be pretty conflict-free. I normally agree with myself. I normally <laughs> like my own interpretations of the Bible. I normally uh, am pretty happy with how I'm going about things. And where, where a conflict comes in is now there's other believers around me, my wife, might have a different thought than I do about something. Uh, a congregation member might, maybe a pastor has a different thought than I do. And in 1 Corinthians 8 and in Romans 14, what we see is, is this principle that, that really, like, like you've been saying, we're supposed to obey our conscience. Romans 14 even says, let each one be convinced in his own mind. So we're not supposed to be willy-nilly, uh, not having opinions about things. We're supposed to go to the Word in prayer and develop an opinion but then at the same time, we're not supposed to not despise one another. And where our consciences perhaps in an area are stronger. So like in 1 Corinthians 8, where these other these Christians who have a stronger conscience know eating meat offered to idols is not sin. What they're not supposed to do is take their stronger conscience and beat the weaker brother or sister over the head with it and say, can't you get it? Don't you understand it? Paul actually says at the end, if eating meat causes my brother or sister to stumble, then I'll just never eat meat again. <laughs> so, I mean, can you imagine that? In our day and age where, man, we all have strong opinions, we all have uh, really strong thoughts about things, and for us to have this, this, this still this Christ-likeness, even with our consciences that perhaps are stronger than others, 
to lay down our rights yeah. and say, I yeah. want to serve you with my conscience, not beat you over the head. Yeah. And yeah, and I think, that's, I think that's one good clarifying thing just about things regarding disputable matters, et cetera. I think sometimes what happens is people read those texts and they think, oh, what you're doing is offensive to me. And that's not what Paul is teaching in 1 Corinthians no. 8 no. Um, and in Romans 14. It's not a, oh, someone out there is offended by something I've done, therefore I won't do it so as not to be an offense to them. It's somebody out there might be encouraged to sin against their conscience mm-hmm. if I practice my Christian freedom mm-hmm. in such a way that they just um, you know, begin to think, oh, I, I can do this. And instead of their conscience being the compass, another Christian becomes the compass mm-hmm. for what they should do. Their conscience under the banner of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit on them. Mm-hmm. And they look and they see another Christian and their freedom, and they start to damage their conscience, mm-hmm. which can then in turn actually damage their faith. That's right. So I think it's important to make that distinction a fair bit. Um, what, uh, what are some other things about the conscience that, especially as we talk about theology that is just important for us to realize. So we're, we're talking about here, I just named, you know, CDs, Paul names meat, and all these things relate to theological truths. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we talk about theology, mm-hmm. like uh, what we believe about God, what we believe about man, about sin, about salvation, um, about other topics of theology, why is it important to have a developed kind of sense of like, oh, conscience matters? What, what, why is that especially important, do you think? Yeah, I think, I think it's important because we want to be conscious of one another's consciences. So, for example, as a, as a pastor during a pandemic or as a pastor during uh, protests and, um, and unjust killing that we see and, and all these things, um, it informs me being aware of my own conscience and that there's other people out there who also have consciences and I know are a little bit differently calibrated than mine, it even informs how much we want to press and, and help calibrate one another's consciences with the Word. So, for example, there's some things in the Bible that are really clear. Uh, so if we're going to talk about injustice, for example, I, I'm going to want to press home very clearly, all people are made in the image of God. And God loves justice, and God loves mercy. And we see that most clearly fulfilled eternally and ultimately in the gospel. And therefore, we want to apply it in all these other practical day-to-day situations. Love your neighbor, don't show partiality. Those things are clear. Uh, But what I'm probably not going to do as a pastor is begin to try to uh, make people feel like if they don't do X or they don't do Y, that somehow they're not uh, as right as me about this issue. Uh, or, or for COVID, for example, you know, uh, do we wear masks or do we not wear masks? Why? How should we? What about those who are vulnerable? How serious is it? I mean, if you watch all of my videos, uh, these Facebook Live videos where I've addressed these things. That would take a while. Over and over again, yeah. it would. Uh, no one will know where I stand in any of those things. Because the main thing I've been trying to address are the, the, the big, clear biblical uh, issues of uh, unity and love for one another and laying down our rights. 
not trying to bind people's consciences on a third tier issue of what they should or shouldn't think about masks. So you just use that phrase, bind consciences. Talk more about what that means and why. I mean, you and I, as we talk back and forth about pastoring and things like that, that's something that we want to be especially careful that when we're doing it and when we're not doing it. Talk a little bit more about what you mean when you say, I, I want to be careful not to bind consciences. Yeah. So on issues that are not primary and are less clear and are more debated, the further we get out from the center. And, and even when it comes to application of theological principles, I want to be careful, especially as a pastor, as someone who has some authority and who people might look to, uh, to not make the person who's feeling uh, afraid that we won't wear masks at worship and therefore they might not come. I want to be careful not to make them feel like they must not be afraid because for them to be afraid is to not trust God. And on the same, on the same way, for the person who doesn't like that we have to wear masks, I don't want to make them feel like they must like that we wear masks. Um, based on everyone's interpretation of the data and the opinions and the seriousness, um, what I want to call us to is, is the main things where I feel comfortable calling people's consciences into alignment is we're called to unity, we're called to love each other. How do we do that? Yeah. Um, so, so, so a binding of the conscience would be, and I think, I think it's especially significant when there's an authority gap, when, when someone with authority is, is speaking to someone's call to be under their authority, where, uh, you know, it, it's almost like you draw a line in the sand. You know, you're, you're with me on this particularity, or you're outside the team, you're off the team. Right. Go, get out right. of the game, sit on the bench. Yeah. So to bind the conscience is not inherently bad. We just want to seek to as Christians that, you know, under the hand of God and his spirit, with his word being used in our lives to say, this is really clear. Therefore, our consciences ought be bound to it in, in what is clear. And when it's less clear, we need to be backing away from that. So uh, Jonathan Lehman talks about um, straight line and jagged line issues. Straight line issues are issues that are morally clear and therefore we can say we are morally culpable for. Mm -hmm. um, things like sanctity of life mm -hmm. from cradle to grave or from womb to grave. Um, things like uh, justice and injustice. Those things matter and they're near and dear to the heart of God. Then when you turn to like, oh, uh, how should this particular policy mm -hmm. influence this particular area of biblical truth or biblical principles? Those can quickly become jagged line issues mm -hmm. where it's like it's just not clear what might be best. You move from the area of biblical command to the area of biblical wisdom mm -hmm. and we start to ask for wisdom. That's right. And so uh, there's no biblical command, for instance, that we need to wear masks, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, nothing, nothing like that. There are biblical commands about obeying government, giving room for other people's consciences, doing things out of love, um, you know, and humbling ourselves and things like that. And then how those policies work out are just jagged line mm -hmm. things. Yeah. And we need to be clear um, about what those are, I think. I think 
uh, one of the most important things in this area is to be clear about which area are we in. Mm -hmm. Are we in the realm of biblical command Mm -hmm. or are we in the realm of biblical wisdom? And I think just a a quick note is that Bethlehem, especially, you know, we're, we're a highly conscientious people of how we want to handle the Bible and, and how we want to stand for certain uh, moral issues, which is a really good thing. But I think that uh, there are ways where that can predispose us to making us uncomfortable living in the realm of wisdom. Uh, so, so there are just some areas where there's just not always, a, uh, this is certainly right, this is certainly wrong. Yep. We're just going to have to live in the area of wisdom a little yep. bit. COVID yep. being... Yep. A very big area. Sure. And so, yeah, and that's not to say areas of certainty or areas of uncertainty are coextensive with areas of importance that's right. and areas of unimportance. Right, right. It's important. Right. Biblical wisdom and its application is could be, uh, you know, it's super important mm-hmm. in all mm-hmm. kinds of areas. So yep. by no means are we saying not important and important. Nope. We're just saying less clear, more clear, therefore mm-hmm. be more careful, especially in the realm of biblical wisdom. So um, before we jump into theological triage, I'm just like, hey, how does this apply to theology mm-hmm. and how we think about um, different tiers, as it were, of, of theological importance? Just if you uh, are spending time with somebody and wondering if their conscience or you're thinking for yourself, is my conscience misaligned? Is it mm-hmm. weak in a particular area and I want to bring it into accord with um, you know, God's word, God's law? How do you go about doing that? How do you encourage somebody, um, you know, to change their conscience if something is, uh, you know, deeply set in their way of thinking about something? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, this is going to sound like the Sunday school answer, but I think, I think it's always going to be, hey, go to the Word. Here are some texts that are that deal with the areas that are relevant in your life. That, that it's a struggle. I mean, that I mean, I mean, that's a lot of what, what counseling is. You know, in a, in a marriage counseling or a one-on-one counseling setting, you're just trying to help people align their consciences with the words so that they act in accord with the word. Um, so the word is going to be primary. You know, secondarily to that, I think is going to be prayer. Like you said, is asking for wisdom, asking for the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the third area is going to be other believers, and I think I think particularly other believers who either. Uh, a are a couple steps ahead of you in life, or B uh, think differently than you in this area. So it's uh, it's an, so for example, uh, what we're what we pr- are prone to do, especially in our social media age, is uh, kind of get our camps and then all hang out together uh, where we agree and then uh, just kind of lob grenades back and forth. What would be much more healthy would be, hey, let's go to the Word together, let's pray together, and let's do it with an intermingling of people who have really different opinions about this. And oftentimes what happens is that there's a, a healthy, uh, at least with reasonable, mature people, a, a healthy coming together. And, and there's not always there's not always agreement, but it normally kind of dissipates the, the, the divide, the divisiveness of it. And people begin to see the reasonableness of the other side. And the last thing I'd say is, um, I mean, we're just so blessed in our context in America, we have this, this wealth of theological resources that there's normally good secondary resources outside of the Bible to, to help with things like, you know, Dr. Nacelli's book on the conscience is a, is a great book that people could go to about just what the conscience is. And there's all sorts of resources for all sorts of issues like that.
Yeah, so that book that Dave just mentioned is Conscience, subtitle, What It Is, How to Train It, and Loving Those Who Differ uh, by Andy Nacelli and uh, J.D. Crowley. Um, Andy Nacelli is a elder at the North Campus. That is a great, I think, secondary resource. Well, Dave, I think we're actually uh, pretty much out of time for this particular episode. Rather than uh, cramming conscience and theological triage into one episode, we'll just uh, take theological triage the next time we're together. How's that sound? That sounds good. All right. Thanks for joining us today.